Good morning. Uh, we are going to start out with a video. Before I, but before I do, I want to share a thought that just occurred to me a few minutes ago. So the last time that I was in the Philippines, I haven't lived there yet, by the way. Some people have asked if we, as career missionaries, if we have been there as missionary associates. We have not. Um, but the last time that we were in the Philippines, I attended church on a Sunday morning with the kids of the orphanage. And we, like most churches in the Philippines, we um, arrive and the kids go and play outside and the congregation begins to worship. And I want to give you a quick description of what worship looks like at this church in the Philippines, and you can imagine stepping into it with me. Um, you step into a tin building. It's probably 100 degrees outside, so inside of this tin pole barn-style building, it is 130 degrees. They like that they have the technology in the region that we're in to be able to play worship instruments with amps. And so they close all the doors, they take that guitar, and they romp on it as hard as they can. <laughs> I was amazed that the Spirit of God still moves in worship like that. Like it, it seems so distracting, yet God moves. Now, I'm here at Mount Hope on a Sunday morning with an amazing worship team, and thank you for that. And everyone's worshiping, and I'm standing next... Yes. I'm standing next to my brother Aaron. And you guys know Aaron from announcements on Sunday mornings. That Aaron doesn't shut off when he steps down from the podium. It's, it's like there's always something going. I'm amazed how the Holy Spirit can still affect our hearts and minds, even when Aaron's standing next to me saying, I'm not going to repeat what you say. Um, not because it was that bad, but because there's no use. You guys get the point. So, Austin, with that, I'm going to have Austin start us out with the video. There are over 8 billion, almost 8 billion people on planet Earth. Over 3.2 billion people have never heard the salvation news of Jesus Christ. These are individuals that are living without hope here on Earth, but also without the hope of an afterlife. They are hurting and in peril because they believe that life is limited to what they can see in a broken and sick world tainted by sin. But because Jesus loved them, he gives us a guarantee in Scripture that before he comes back for his church, all will have the opportunity to hear of his saving grace. That is why we pray, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Hudson Taylor once said, The Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. Amen. Let's go ahead and open in prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We're thankful that you're here with us this morning. And Lord, as we continue in a spirit of worship, I ask you would prepare our hearts to preach, prepare our hearts to hear, open our hearts to the callings that you have on our lives and the direction that you would lead us, Jesus. Lord, I ask that you would open our hearts and minds to really see and hear what is going on all around the planet in your mission, Jesus. Lord, we love you and we worship you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, good morning. As many of you know, I see a lot of familiar faces. 
My name is Sandy. This is obviously Caleb. Um, and we just want to say thank you for having us in this morning. I know Pastor Norm and Barb um, are not here, but thank you guys for your warm welcome and um, just the opportunity to share with you what God has called our family to and what God is doing in the Philippines and Asia Pacific. So we have our three kiddos. Um, if you guys don't mind, there we go. Perfect. So you may not have seen them yet. They're in the nursery, but they'll be running around after church. Uh, we have starting on the left, there's Griffin. Gatlin is in the middle, and Evelyn is on the end there. So our twins just turned three years old this month, and Evelyn is four. So together we are career missionaries um, with the Assemblies of God headed to the Philippines, where we will be directing a home called King's Garden Children's Home. So again, thank you guys uh, for having us, and Caleb is going to share a little bit more about us. So as Sandy said, it's nice to see so many familiar faces from our time up in the north um, and attending this church. And as Austin said, um, I was at this church when I recommitted my life to Jesus uh, almost a decade ago. So this is our first career term. Um, I use the term career because that's the technical term that the Assemblies of God World Missions uses. But really what it means is that we will be going... Um, forever. And so these are broken up into, a forever for us is broken up into three to four year stints in the Philippines and then back to the U.S. to speak to churches like you guys and share what we're doing and raise the funds that we need to go back. But there's a lot that God has done to lead us to the point to make the decision to move our family to the Philippines. We both grew up in northern Michigan. I grew up in Atlanta and many of you know my family. And Sandy grew up in Indian River. I grew up here at Mount Hope um, and at another Assemblies of God church. I graduated high school and traveled to Central Michigan University. Uh, I had a dream of trying out for their football team, but God has clearly led me in different directions. <laughs> After my sophomore year of college, um, I recommitted my life to Jesus at Lost Valley Bible Camp during a family camp service. Amen. Suddenly... A change happened in me that I couldn't describe other than that God gave me such a clear love for people that I couldn't not preach his gospel. Felt like he told me to go to North Point Bible College in Grand Rapids, and so after my sophomore year of college was over, I restarted my college education at North Point. And it was during my first semester there at the Bible College, while I was in a global missions class, that we were talking about something that should seem pretty simple to most of us, but at the moment it was revolutionary to me. The discussion was about whether or not a person that has never heard the name of Jesus will be allowed into heaven. The class discussed for a few minutes and then the teacher stopped us and said, <clears throat> the answer, his simple answer is no. It's not whether or not we've heard the name of Jesus that separates us from heaven. It is our sin that separates us from a holy God that's in heaven. And only a belief in the soul-cleansing, sacrificial blood of Jesus can wash our sins away. Again, that should be simple to most of us, but at the moment it was revolutionary to me. I found myself getting angry and frustrated. I wasn't angry at God. I was angry at myself. I realized that I had grown up in church 
with a thousand opportunities, probably literally a thousand opportunities, to say yes to the call that God had on my life. And I rebelliously and continuously told him no so many times. And yet there is 42% of the planet, over 3.2 billion people that have never heard the name of Jesus, never had one opportunity to say yes. Not one opportunity. And it was in that same global missions class that semester that I committed to Jesus that I would take his gospel to the ends of the earth to people that had never heard it before. So as Caleb mentioned, I grew up in Indian River and the youngest of, uh, uh, in a pastor's home. My dad was Pastor Bob Moody. And I gave my life to Jesus at a very young age. And there was a time during my childhood um, that my dad was the director of Lost Valley. So I, as probably many of you in this room, and I know Caleb, uh, quickly fell in love with Lost Valley. And a lot of monumental moments in my life happened there. And when I was 12 years old, I went away to camp, um, youth camp there, and the Holy Spirit clearly spoke to me that week and uh, called me into missions. So I remember going home from camp and so excited after a week like that, proclaiming to my dad that I was called to be a missionary. And I remember his very simple but profound response was, so great, what are you going to do about it? And I said, well, I'll be a missionary someday, Dad. Of course. So uh, he simply explained to me that God wasn't calling me to be a missionary someday, that he was calling me to be a missionary right then. So that very next summer, I went on my first missions trip to Kingston, Jamaica, um, at the age of 13, and served at a children's home. And since then, I've gone on a, a numerous short-term trips. And when Caleb and I met in 2016, we got engaged. And then just two months later, uh, I left to go to the Philippines for a year-long assignment. I arrived on the island of Cebu with the plan to work with Sister Ruth Clark for my full term, but God divinely showed me that he had different plans. And after only six weeks on the island of Cebu, I ended up leaving early and traveled to Luzon Island, where there were better medical practices and where I was supposed to assist the director of King's Garden Children's Home. When I arrived, God showed me that he works once again in very mysterious ways. And as I was preparing to go to the doctors for a checkup, one of my friends from Michigan had suggested that I ask the director of King's Garden to go with me. So together we went to the doctors, her name was Jenny, and both of us had checkups. That day, Jenny found out that she had stage four breast cancer. And that same day, God healed me of those issues that I was dealing with. Jenny decided to fly back to the United States for treatments and gave me a quick crash course um, on King's Garden and how to run it that day in the hospital. She left, and on my temporary missions assignment, I became the acting interim director of King's Garden. And at the end of my time at King's Garden, Caleb flew over to Luzon Island, where we were married. So as you guys can see, that's what that picture is. Um, we were married at King's Garden with the kids as our wedding guests. So I think if you flip one more, you'll see a picture there of the kids. There we go. <laughs> Doesn't God work in mysterious ways? <laughs> Amen. It's bizarre how God chooses to move us around the way that he does. He says through the Apostle Paul in, the, in his letter to the Ephesians that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God himself prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in them. And sometimes he gives us no doubt that we are where he wants us. Unfortunately, there are also moments that it's not so clear. I think we've all had moments in life where we had the opportunity to do something amazing for God. But we weren't sure that it was God. I don't want to stop and reflect on this thought for too long, but I do think it's worth some consideration. How can we know for sure that we should do something? As Christians, I hope we all pray. But also, we have God's character sown all throughout the Bible for us to soak in as we immerse ourselves in it so that when we are presented with an opportunity to do something, we can quickly say with a lot of certainty because of God's character, hey, this is something that God would have me do just based on his character or based on God's character that we see in scripture. Hey, this is absolutely not something that God wants me to do right now. And that's obviously not uh, applicable to all situations, but I feel like that is applicable to most situations. God quite often, to summarize that thought for me, God quite often will present us with a need. We see this thing that there, there is some sort of injustice, some opportunity to serve people or to serve him. And you look at this need and you say, this need is my call to action. I'll reference back to that thought in just a second, uh, but first I want to share two stories with you. We want to share two quick stories with you. So after I felt God's clear direction to go to the ends of the earth to preach his gospel, I had to decide where, I, where we were going to go. I thought I'd probably go to the hardest reach places on earth, hardest to reach places on earth. I was thinking like way out in the middle of the Pacific, some remote island that nobody's ever been to, or the deepest reach, reaches of the jungle somewhere. My missions teacher in Bible college uh, had been a missionary to the Philippines, and he shared a story with me in that first semester of Bible college that broke my heart. And I thought, maybe someday I'll head to the Philippines. The, prof the professor's name was Bob Roberts. Pastor Bob was a missionary on the island of Cebu in the Philippines. That's the island that Sandy first arrived on on her year-long trip there. He had done his research before he arrived. He knew that there were over 2 million orphans in the Philippines. He knew that over 1.8 million of them were homeless and lived on the streets. And he arrived with a desire to help. After some subtle investigation, he found out that the street kids like to stay at the city garbage dump to dig through the trash for their food. So he started a feeding ministry at the landfill where the street kids could come and get food and hear about the hope that only comes from Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, he had to end his time as a missionary and move back to the U.S. And when he arrived back in the U.S., he traveled to raise funds to continue that food ministry as well as raising funds for many other ministries in Asia Pacific. Um, it's now an umbrella ministry, I guess is how I would describe it, that raises funds for ministries that are active in Asia Pacific. And King's Garden is under the umbrella of Asia's Little Ones. Um, so we get to benefit from his previous ministry. But he shared 
with me that he had traveled to a small rural town where he was going to preach on missions and raise funds. The pastor put him up in their house, and uh, he began to preach on missions that Sunday morning. And he felt like God led him to do something different that morning. Rather than asking the congregation for a money offering, he asked them to sacrifice for the kids of the Philippines. And he wanted them to sacrifice a material possession that meant something to them that he could then go and sell for, to feed the kids in the Philippines. After service that morning, he went out to lunch with the pastor's family. Uh, so I guess I just left you hanging. Um, after he shared, he asked, them, asked the congregation to pray about what that material possession would be that they would sacrifice for the kids of the Philippines and bring it back that evening. That's when we had Sunday morning and Sunday evening services. And um, bring it back that evening and present it so that he could sell it for the kids of the Philippines. After church that Sunday, he went out to lunch with the pastor's family, and the pastor's wife came up to him after lunch. And she took off her wedding ring and gave it to him. And she said, I have nothing of any value to give except for this. And I feel like God is telling me to give you this wedding ring to sell for the, to sell for the kids of the Philippines. After some discussion, he ended up taking the ring, and before service that evening, he took it to the pastor, the senior pastor, and he said, your wife gave me her wedding ring, and I'm giving it back to you. I don't feel like I can take it. The senior pastor took off his wedding ring and said, if God told her to give you her wedding ring, they come as a matching pair. <laughs> so Pastor Bob ended up with the rings. After service that week, he took the rings to a pawn shop just to see what they were worth. And he found that they were only worth a few hundred dollars. And so he, took, he felt like he couldn't sell them for that, so he took them to a jeweler for a second opinion. And this jeweler said, yeah, they're worth only just a few hundred dollars. Feeling conviction that he couldn't sell this couple's wedding rings for just a couple hundred dollars, he took them to the next church that he preached at. And he shared the story of their sacrifice and ask if anybody in the congregation would like to buy the wedding rings. Somebody did, and at the end of service told him to go and give them back to the senior pastor and his wife. Pastor Bob Roberts called that senior pastor and said what had happened, told him what had happened, and the senior pastor said, go and do it again. God told us to give you these wedding rings. I want you to go and do it again. And so... He did it again and again and again. Finally, someone approached him during a Sunday morning service and said, this is the last time that you're going to share this, share these wedding rings. You're, this is the last story, time that you're going to share that story, and I'm going to give you a very large donation. Feeling like it was the right time, Pastor Bob wrapped up the wedding rings and said, I'm I'm good with that. He had raised over a quarter million dollars with those wedding rings. A few hundred dollar wedding rings, a quarter million dollars in donations later. He reached out to the pastor and his wife and said, uh, thank you for your quarter million dollar donation. I want to come and do a ceremony at your church as we retire these wedding rings and present them back to you in front of your congregation. And so he did that. And at the end of the ceremony, the pastor's oldest, senior pastor's oldest daughter 
walked up to him and said, I feel like God led my wife, God is leading my husband and I to give you our wedding rings to sell for the kids of the Philippines. I heard this story in all of its detail, and I felt uh, that if God can do that through that couple's sacrifice, maybe God can do something for my life being spent in the Philippines as well. It was a year after that class ended that Caleb and I got engaged, and we were discussing the fact that both of us were called into missions and that I was about to head to the Philippines for a year. Caleb still wasn't quite sure where God was calling, but he explained that he wanted to go somewhere, as he said, that uh, no Christian had ever taken the gospel. But he also explained that he had a love for the Philippines and a desire to see it someday. So he told me the story of the rings and how it did something inside him and how God had used that story to break his heart for starving kids in the Philippines. I looked at him and shared with him that that story that Pastor Bob Roberts had shared was the story of my parents. And that Pastor Bob Roberts had also helped me to decide to go to the Philippines to work with these kids that he left behind but carried on through his legacy. So it, as heartbreaking as it was not being sure that Caleb was called to the Philippines, I uh, got on that plane and quickly fell in love with the kids, the people, and the culture. And I really believe that it was where God was asking me to spend my life. And as John Faulkner once said, I have but one candle of life to burn, and I would rather burn it with a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. And although I love the United States, I believe that the Philippines is my land of darkness. So as I arrived there, I began to pray that God would make it clear to Caleb that the Philippines were, is where he was being called as well. And I began to pray that, God would be, that Sandy would be okay with the disappointment of God calling us somewhere else. <laughs> but seriously, although I knew that there was need for missionaries in the Philippines, I believed that the Philippines was a reached country. And I believed that I was supposed to take the gospel to the unreached. The Philippines is over 80% Catholic. And so they have a form of the gospel. I prayed seriously about this, and yet I flew to the Philippines to get married, not knowing what to do about not being sure if I was called there. God began to break my heart. Seeing the poverty in the Philippines, I simply couldn't ignore it. God began to reveal a lot to me on that very first trip about the Philippines. Although the country is predominantly Catholic, it is Catholicism that's mixed with animism or spirit worship. And almost one-third of the population lives on one of over 7,600 islands. The other islands have much denser populations of animists, and over one-third of the populations have a predominantly extreme Muslim population. But really, the biggest thing that God used to confirm my call to the Philippines in my heart was the kids. In James chapter 1, verse 27, it says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I knew that God cared for the kids of the Philippines. But then in James chapter 2, verse 14, it says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? 
Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical need, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say to you, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Can you guys pause with me for a second? Let's imagine that you are an orphan living on the streets of the Philippines. Put yourselves in their shoes. They wake up in the morning, having slept underneath, underneath a piece of cardboard. It's likely already over 90 degrees outside. Their stomach hurts because they're hungry. Their head is pounding from a dehydration headache. The first thing on their minds is food. And so they go and they dig through trash for their food. They don't have a mom or a dad that loves them, and their society looks down on them. Now imagine that you live in a country that is predominantly Catholic. You see beautiful churches, and you see religious billboards. But how in the world are you supposed to believe in a loving God and a loving church? You simply, in their shoes, don't have the framework to accept Jesus. It's hard to view God as loving Father because you don't have an earthly one. And it's hard to view God as shelter and strong tower because you're used to getting rained on with no shelter. It's hard to view God as fount of living water and the bread of life because you're physically hungry and thirsty. That is their reality. And God's broke my heart for them. As I said before, I feel like I can't stand back and do nothing. The 1.8 million homeless kids living on the streets of the Philippines are an unreached people group to me. And they are who God has led us to serve. This is where our ministry as the directors of Kings Garden Children's Home comes in because, as I said before, this need is my call to action. Kings Garden is an amazing place. It is a beautiful 12 and a half acre piece of land in the Bataan province of Luzon Island. It is covered with fruit trees, but most importantly, our building houses up to 100 kids at a time. As you guys can see, here is a picture of King's Garden. The kids are given all of the essentials. They're given food, clean water, shelter, a loving relationship with a house mom, and the good, good news of Jesus. So I'm going to tell you guys a little bit more about our roles at King's Garden and in Bataan in a minute. But first I want to tell you about the founding and founder of King's Garden. The founder's name is Lois Prater, and I'm going to read a quick excerpt from an AGWM and Assemblies God World Missions magazine. Lois Prater was nearly 80 years old when God gave her a second chance to honor her promise to him and to fulfill her dream by founding an orphanage. At the age of just six or seven, she had been inspired by the exciting stories 
told of Lillian Thrasher, a renowned missionary and founder of Egypt's first orphanage. At age 15, Lois had promised God that she would go overseas as a missionary. And in preparation, she went to Bible college and started preaching at the age of 19. But everything changed when Lois fell in love with a handsome farmhand who drank too much. Convinced that marrying him was outside of God's will, she did it anyway. Determined to change him and still fulfill her mission. And she did, but not until 52 years later. Six months after Gallen Prater died, Lois had an opportunity to take a short-term mission trip to the Philippines. And although she initially fought the stirring in her heart and her family discouraged her, Lois ultimately refused to say God, no to God for a second time. And her first trip to the Philippines was with an organized group for three weeks. On her second, she took 11 women and they stayed for four weeks. And she went alone on her third trip and stayed for a year. Traveling to various churches and preaching, one day Lois met a man with seven children who had offered to sell her his baby for approximately $40. She gave the man the money to feed his children and helped him find a job so that he could continue to support them. But she never forgot his face or the shock of his desperation. It was the push that Lois needed to do what God, she had felt God called her to do more than 70 years prior. She sold everything she owned. She moved to the Philippines and put every penny she had into building this orphanage. King's Garden Children's Home. She tirelessly continued her work of rescuing, feeding, clothing, loving, and educating the children until age 89 when her health forced her to hand over leadership of the well-established home. She handed it over to the Assemblies of God who shared her heart for the children. But her heart remained with the home and the children, and she visited it often until her death in 2008, sorry, 2013 at the age of 100. And here we have a picture of Lois. And this is her with one of the very first children that she took into the home. Caleb and I both feel compelled that if a woman from Seattle in her mid-70s can sell all that she has and move to the Philippines, that we too can give our lives for God's mission. A missionary martyred for the gospel named Jim Elliott once said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And right now the need in the Philippines and in Asia Pacific is great. King's Garden has been without a director since 2020 and it is struggling without leadership. So we are in a rush to finish raising our budget and get there as soon as possible. We just started fundraising in May, but we are hoping to have our budget raised by July of 2024. And when we arrive, our initial goals are to help rebuild relationships with the workers at King's Garden and to learn the language so that we can have deeper conversations and be able to preach in their heart language. We want to help King's Garden grow and thrive, and we want to help plant God's church in our region. We just need to get there first. Lois Prater, at, in her mid-70s, was told that she couldn't go to the Philippines as a missionary. And I'm adding this in impromptu. Um, the Assemblies of God told her that she was too old. 
She spent, she spent almost another 25 years in the Philippines starting up this orphanage. And in our region of the world, in the Philippines, as an example, there are 30 unreached people groups. There are 1,800 communities with no, church, no Christian church. That's actually an evangelized country in Asia Pacific, our region of the world. In our region, there are over 900 million people that have never had the opportunity to give their hearts to Jesus. Before I close, I want to do a little bit of a recap. Um, but Sarah, do you mind coming up? Or maybe the entire worship band, if you want. Um, before I invite Austin up to close. First, I want you to ask yourself this question. What need is your call? What do you see in the world around you that you are going to let God break your heart for? Sandy and I are both desperately praying for more workers in the Philippines. We need more workers in the Philippines. Maybe you're feeling a tug towards missions right now. I want you to remember, and this isn't to anybody in specific, this isn't just a young man's game. God can use anyone, including a 75-year-old woman from Seattle, Washington. If you're thinking about becoming a missionary, I have an encouragement for you. Just do it. God will honor your attempt, and we need your help. If you would consider something like this, we ask that you would come, come to us after service, express that, and we would like to help you get started in the process of becoming a missionary. If you say, and most of you will, I just don't think I'm supposed to go. I want you to stop yourself. Everyone in this room that knows Jesus is called to go. But some will go here. To the ends of the earth starts here. There is work to be done in Gaylord and in Michigan and in the United States. But the question is, are you willing to be uncomfortable enough and share your faith with someone so that they would not burn in hell, but would rather have the opportunity to live forever in heaven with Jesus. Beyond even going is praying. Praying is the single most important and powerful thing that we can do to see the world changed, to see mountains moved, to see orphans clothed and fed, and to see souls saved for eternity. as Austin kind of alluded to this morning, prayer and devotion is hard. It takes humility. It takes devotion. And quite frankly, it takes time away from other things. Our director of missions likes to say, prayer is not an act of strength. It is rather an admission of weakness. And another said, God uses men who are weak and feeble enough to lean on him. Finally, you can send. How can we go unless we are sent? Sandy and I are not going to King's Garden or to work in the Philippines as independent workers. 
We desire to be your open hand and outstretched arms to the kids of the Philippines. The need is great. If God has laid a specific country on your heart other than the Philippines, I encourage you, find a missionary that's going there, commit to praying for them, and give to them also. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you say your heart is broken for the people of, let's say, Laos, then put your money where your mouth is. Put your prayers where your mouth is. I want to share one more final brief story with you. It's a story of a young man who played a great role in the country of South Africa. But the story starts in Scotland. It starts in the early 1800s. An old village pastor was questioned by the deacons of his church. Why had there been no growth in the church? No new members. It seemed that the work of the church, if not going backwards, was at least at a standstill. And the deacons questioned the old pastor saying, no one has come to Christ through your ministry in the past year. The pastor's reply, though, was that the deacons had forgotten about Wee Bobby. Wee Bobby was from a poor but devout Christian home. Sometime after his conversion, there was a missions meeting at the village church. An offering was taken. When the basket came to wee Bobby, he told the ushers to put the basket on the floor. I'll add that the usher had to have, had, had to have heard from God because I don't know an usher that would take the offering basket and set it on the floor for, at a boy's command. Wee Bobby said, I don't have anything to give God but myself. And with his bare feet, he stepped into the offering plate. Bobby really meant it when he gave his life to Jesus. He was actually Robert Moffat, a renowned frontier missionary to South Africa, where he spent the last 52 years of his life. I'll ask you another question. Are you willing to step into God's offering plate? Are you willing to give yourself in God's offering plate to be spent by him wherever and how and however he chooses for the expansion of the gospel? This is where my notes tell me that I'm supposed to invite my cousin Austin back up to close for us. But uh, as Austin comes up, I want to preach off from my without my notes for a minute. I have heard a lot of excuses in my mind for why my family and I shouldn't have to give up our life in America to go to the Philippines. And as I talk, travel to churches and preach and talk about missions, I hear a lot of excuses for why somebody who is called to go to a foreign land to preach the gospel to people who will ever, otherwise not hear it why they can't go. And 
I don't want to offend anybody in saying that they are, they are excuses. We just shared a story of a woman in her mid-70s that felt compelled to go when she was a girl, and God gave her a second opportunity 70 years later. She traveled to a very harsh place until she was 100 years old. If she can do it, our health likely isn't an excuse, and our age likely isn't an excuse. And God tells us throughout Scripture that when he calls us to do something, we are supposed to go at that thing without hesitation, without, with complete reckless abandon. That when he tells us to go for the expansion of his gospel, we're not to hesitate. And yet, we can use our family as excuses. We can use our retirement as excuses. We can use so many different things, our house, the things that we've worked for, the pleasures that we've worked for here in the United States as excuses for why we can't go our grandkids as excuses in some situations for why we can't go. If God has called you to go, I want to leave you with the fi final encouragement that it's where he wants you to be and that there's no greater place in life than to be in the will of God, even when it's hard and across the world. Awesome. That's a very practical message that we should all take heart in. And even though the church has picked them up as missionaries, we're going to do a second offering to give towards them. But I, as I was hearing it, I felt compelled to point out that your job can be your missions field because at least in every industry I've stepped in, they are lost. We should seek to do that. And with that, I'll pray over the offering. Dear God, please use this offering to bless Caleb and Sandy's ministry, to feed the orphans, and to draw them to you, Lord. And Lord, just keep them safe as they travel to the Philippines and use them to bless the lost, Lord. In her name we pray. Amen.